We are the existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life. Your hosts are Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Janelle Dresner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stenner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada. And Mihaela Lounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Welcome, existentialists, to episode 16, uh, which will actually be the final episode for season one. Um, so, as we conclude this season, we would like to start by talking about grief and loss um, and in kind of our usual form we'd like to begin by just defining a little bit of what that is while also acknowledging that you know there is no set definition um, to define grief and the experiences of grief are also um, very broad and so from an EA perspective we would like to start by sharing a little bit about what it means to turn towards oneself in grief. Yeah, thank, thank you, Chelsea. And um, you, you already uh, pointed us towards um, EA understanding of grief as um, um, turning towards our losses. Um, when we lose something of value, and this could be a person, but it could be also a pet or <laughs> a dream or job, um, a relationship, uh, usually we obviously suffer. And, um, we experience a lot of heartbreak and sadness. And um, how we deal with that, how we um, acknowledge that and uh, how we manage to be with that and allow it to settle and allow ourselves to, to process that is, I guess, what grief is. And in EA, we, we say in a more simple way, that grief is turning towards um, our losses or whatever we experience, um, a loss of life or loss of value. Yeah, it's, it's an experience and it's active. It's that, it is that turn toward what isn't there anymore that, and, and experiencing everything that comes up with that. Um, and it's often sadness, but it can be anger, relief, regret, guilt, remorse, there's so much complexity in grief. What I liked about the existential analytic, um, very simple definition of, of grieving and turning towards is that it kind of put aside that debate of is grief itself an emotion or is it a complex of many emotions? And it, it then took that and, and said it's, it's actually our response to the loss. It's, it's how we show up um, actively in our agency and being able to uh, turn toward. And it's a hard thing to do. So hopefully in this episode, we'll be able to expand more on what that looks like and demystify it a bit. I think grief is something that is avoided by many people. Uh, many people don't want to feel grief. It hurts. Uh, and, and also I think avoided by therapists too, who maybe don't really know what to do when grief shows up in the room. 
And so it is quite a valuable topic to explore. Absolutely, Giselle. And I like how you said that uh, grief is not just an emotion or even a complex of emotions. Thank you for recognizing the other emotions besides sadness that may be brought up by grief. But grief is essentially an active uh, process, an activity. In, in a, we call it a personal activity of turning towards um, a loss of, um, of value. And that... Um, it's difficult to be in that process. And you said also something that uh, stuck with me, that we turn towards an absence, basically. And yet, by turning towards that absence, the what was lost becomes more present. And we we actually um, deepen the bond with uh, whatever is it that we lost. And we integrate it. Um, we re- kind of save it in, in our heart. We create a place for it in our heart um, to be potentially forever for as long as we live. So even if it's turning it's turning towards a, a loss, an absence, actually in that turning towards, paradoxically, we um, recover, reclaim that value. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe we can like share a little bit like uh, the experience of turning towards a loss um, and what that might look like yeah that's absolutely I laugh a little bit inside because um, this was my the topic of my thesis was the lived experience of turning towards loss um, because I was really interested in the question of how do people do that I've mentioned before in previous episodes that my dad died when I was 13 and I I didn't turn towards the loss. I had a very stoic attitude of suck it up and move on. He's dead and he's not coming back. Um, and, and to focus and reorient my life to what is here, which at the time for a 13 year old was just go back to school and do well in, in class. And when I got to grad school, I, you know, was interested in grief and bereavement and, was really intrigued by the question of like what it would have looked like had I let myself actually feel the gravity of the loss of my dad and had had a wondering or a questioning if the meaninglessness, the bouts of intense meaninglessness or depression that I suffered had something to do with the fact that I, I wasn't grieving or I didn't feel grief and didn't let myself go there. And so... Uh, for me, in the beginning, turning towards loss was a little bit of a, a searching of listening to other people's stories. And what particularly stood out to me was the surrendering to it. Um, that the, the feeling that, and I, I've, I've since then felt this for myself as well as I have allowed myself to grieve, is that when it comes and it it's not just like it knocks on the door of your heart. It's a hurricane. It just totally stops you in your tracks, blows you over, puts your knees to the ground. And when it comes, actually, like, I'm clenching my fists and saying yes and and being with myself in those really sometimes very lonely moments. And that looks like crying. It's not pretty. And, and there is a bit of, like, a... a it feels humiliating a bit, I think, for for some of us Stoics that don't, you know, that are afraid of appearing weak or appearing not strong. But it's it's not about that. 
it's not about crying makes you weak. It's about crying makes you human and it actually facilitates closeness. So I think a big part of that in summary in turning towards a loss is surrendering to it and getting out of our own way and allowing ourselves to be moved and touched by what we feel when we lose someone or something so important to us. Thank you, Janelle. And what I noticed for uh, for myself, and I'm talking about not uh, um, the loss of the magnitude that, uh, of your loss, Janelle, like, but even much more maybe um, mundane losses, like even like uh, transitions, life transitions, um, adjustments and stuff like that. What I notice that if I don't uh, allow myself to surrender, to, to grieve, to that crying, um, usually there is a lot of anxiety and a lot of fighting that come up. Mm-hmm. And um, it, um, it makes the entire process much more tormenting, much longer. So I, I think you really highlighted a key, a key process there, a key attitude there to, to be able to surrender, to let be with um, all the painful emotions that the loss um, bring up, brings up in us. Something too that you said, Janelle, that kind of stood out to me was um, the active participation of like, you know, that, that surrender or being dropped to your knees, that kind of letting go and crying and being part of it experiencing it um because I think at least in my experience um sometimes I've I've thought that I've grieved but um I haven't really it's been uh, like you said very stoic or um very stagnant like it's this frozen immovable heaviness that like you said can often look like a depression where this kind of grief just gets stuck in time um and so that act of like turning towards um when I have been able to do it um has actually felt quite warm um it's felt like a a de-thawing um and there's movement there um I remember like the first time I think I've shared in a maybe previous episode, I can't remember, but the first time that I like felt warm tears, um, which felt to me a lot more like, it was like an aha moment, like, oh wow, like this is grief for me. Whereas before, like my tears had actually the actual texture and feeling of them, the temperature were cold. Um, And so that kind of just stands out to me too. with what you were saying and how you were describing the experience. Yeah, the <coughs> that, that, that warm tears comment, I remember you saying it and remember being quite a bit stunned. Um, uh, but, but certainly the, <coughs> the, the act of grieving and crying in particular, tears in particular, for me is always enjoyable. And I know that sounds a bit strange, but, but, but exactly what you're, you're getting at, that when you felt it, it really, it, it really does warm. It really does um, soothe. I think is probably probably the mm-hmm. the best word I, w- I would use. And <coughs> and I really um, like that kind of the, the the metaphor that we've used in um, uh, when we you know did this in our training and uh, of of tears being kind of like the um, uh, like a saline solution that you kind of wash out your wound 
with, right? Before you fix it, before you, you need to wash it out. Um, <clears throat> and I use that in, in session all the time, like in that description. But it, it like I have a very vivid ima- uh, uh, memory of, of that mm-hmm. idea, um, you know, the, the purpose of, of crying, of really crying. And absolutely, oh, there's so much that I'm sure we'll even get into with crying. I, I think I just want to circle back a little bit um, to even highlighting how difficult it is for us to sometimes accept the loss um, in different ways. Sometimes this is just that the loss is really world-shattering and too much. Uh, I know for parents, the loss of a child is one of the most unfathomable pains that we can experience on our, on our time on earth here. Um, it can also be not accepting the loss in so much of not under, not letting ourselves be touched by the gravity of the loss. Like when people really minimize the loss. Um, and when we're talking about loss, we're, we're talking about death losses, but we're also talking about non-death losses. And, um, you know, non-death losses, there's been lots this year with COVID and the ways that our lives have become limited or we've lost out on certain things. You know, maybe it was a trip you planned to take or not being able to see your family that's in a different country. And and I think those kinds of losses sometimes are easy to say, like, well, you know, everyone's going through it or it's not as bad as somebody else is. But then we actually rob ourselves of the opportunity to grieve what we really do feel is a loss if we actually let ourselves go there. And so um, even before we cry, um, we also may benefit from looking at, have I lost? What is it that I've lost? And can I accept that that is true, that I have lost someone or something? Thank you, Janel, for bringing up the acceptance um, topic. I think it's um, sometimes uh, it's really hard for my client, even for myself, uh, to hear the word acceptance, um, especially depending where they are in after the loss, how, how much time it has passed. And uh, some people have um, an understanding of acceptance as if they have to agree and embrace and kind of <laughs> be uh, almost um, happy. Because like it approve happened. of approve of yes exactly like it's it's an agreement like yeah I'm I wanted that or like yeah, I can I can say yes to this when when in fact their entire like being their entire heart is um, um, revolting against uh, what happened and there is a lot of anger or denial that um, are happening so um, I think it's very important especially with clients to to try to spend some time. Um, explaining what we mean by accepting that accepting doesn't mean agreeing or approving of uh, of what happened but simply being able to see that it happened to acknowledge that it happened it's coming in touch with reality touching the reality and without coming in touch with reality without seeing what is is impossible to turn towards and and grieve so i think that's very important once someone is at this stage of accepting, I think the process may, may be moving, maybe, of course, very painful, but it moves. But I think it's huge to get to the stage of accepting or saying, uh, fully acknowledging this happened and this is how my life is now. 
Yeah, in order in order to grieve the loss, we can't deny that it happened. And I think that's where the acceptance piece mm-hmm. is the is not denying. That's for that's that's for me where <clears throat> where I love that the phrase letting it be, mm-hmm. which is is so much, uh, so much more, um, uh, so much less tainted by <clears throat> the kind of the general popular understanding of acceptance, um, and it also at least certainly for me the the phrase itself kind of almost kind of settles in me when I say it, and I let it be. I don't. I stop fighting. Essentially, is the is what kind of I tell myself in my mind, um, and that's, that's that's often what where I go. I sometimes I don't even use acceptance with clients because it's just so um, uh, bur- um, burdened by <coughs> you know by popular culture. Mm-hmm. And that timing is everything too. I mean, it's so easy to say mm. acceptance or let it be, but the reality is that can be a whole process in and of itself. So turning toward our losses is this like big overarching activity that we do, but within it, there's also these big processes. And if you're a parent whose child has died, um, letting it be is, uh, it can take a long time as well. And that it's legitimate to rage against that and, and to not want that. Um, however, um, the active, the active part of grieving, I guess the suturing part of grieving almost needs the letting be stance in order for it to start to come. So it's, it's, it's certainly something that can't be rushed um, and something that takes a lot of patience and, and like as therapists being with our clients where they are is so important. Yeah, I find that um, as a therapist with my clients, um, I've actually been doing a lot of uh, grief-related or themed sessions lately. Um, And the the role of silence um, in that has been really important. And silence, at least I find in in grief sessions, um, silence isn't empty. It's not... um, this vacancy or nothingness that's there it's very very palpable um and i think the the turning towards paired with the silence um can just really really give space to um to that loss and to that grief yeah thank you silence so important and sometimes hard to to make to make room for it, especially the heavy silence that comes with grief, and I wanted to also say what you, Julian, said about rage, about a parent who's losing a child, but even maybe other big losses um, in our lives. I mean, rage we consider it usually a coping reaction, which yeah, it is, but I think that there is something also very personal and very real and very important in that, in uh, affirming the value in um, raging um, against. Um, I guess the loss, I guess the fact that this is possible in this world, in this universe, to lose a child or to lose something else of a, of a certain importance. So, and what uh, I think I rubbed me the wrong way when I uh, heard sometimes the, the concept of grieving well, or I always cringed 
a bit. Also, I understand the good intentions about that be because I think it can put so much blaming and shaming that if you are not accepting and turning towards and just letting it be, then whatever you do before that is not grieving or not grieving well. And I always, that always gave me pause. And I also don't like at all uh, talking about grieving well because it implies that there is also not grieving well. And I think that's incredibly judgmental and uh, stigmatizing for, uh, for people. So I think raging actually is grieving well. Thank you so much for highlighting that. It's, it's true. I mean, I've had clients come to uh, seek counseling with me and ask like, okay, I want to know what the right way to grieve. Like I know that I'm about to suffer this loss or I have suffered this loss and I, how do you, how are you supposed to grieve? Like, how do you do that? As if it's like anxiety and there's a specific method. And I think what, what ultimately we're going to try to highlight here is that grieving is a personal process. It is about being with yourself in your loss. So it's, it's a double relating. It's a relating to yourself and a relating to your loss. And I can't tell you how to do that. Um, but we can be with each other as you do that. But there's no textbook. You know, we're not going to go through the steps and then standardize that to a bunch of other people as if it would work well for them. Um, because that's just not it. it it's personal. And so it requires, um, it requires presence, your presence, and my presence being with you in it. Yeah, I am um, presence and being with um, are critical. And that's why, like, we, we speak about grief being a um, relational process. Like, even if it's not necessarily with someone in person, like when I cry, when I grieve, but there is always turns towards a relationship, a relationship with the value that I lost. But also, usually people, um, or most people, um, prefer or choose to turn towards their communities in grief, towards their relationships to, to find support. So again, emphasizing that um, yeah, silence is important, being with um, is important. But equally important is also to um, not to do it all alone all the time and to also be able to um, turn towards people who who can be with it that's why it's so important to choose these people rather than people who rush through it or tell things like oh yeah it has been a year you should be over it or other much more horrific things that some people say <laughs> with the attempt to encourage someone who's grieving right but really to turn towards people who who can hold the space and who can cry even together with the person who lost. I think that's very important, the being with and the presence. Yeah, it brings up two questions for me I'll pose to our group. Um, one is, can grief be fixed? And the second, um, when's grief over? You had to ask good questions, didn't you? <laughs> um, um, I... I think it, it, two two simple answers. Um, um, I, I think it can. I think I'd say grief can be healed, um, but sometimes it doesn't go away, and some and in some instances, I I don't even think it should go away. Right? It just it is, and it will always hurt, 
and it'll always be sad, and that loss will always be felt. Um, even if you carry on your life and you and your life goes really well, continuing like it, it will still always be there. And that was something that I I learned from one of our colleagues sharing about um, losing a child and and how that's it's never okay. Like and and I remember when I listened to that, kind of integrating that and kind of going, how could it ever be okay? Like ever. How could you ever actually finish grieving that? I, it, it was impossible to me. Um, and, and since then I've kind of added in you know, my own personal life just a couple of other things with that also I think will I'll be okay with, but will always be missing, will always be um, lacking. Um, and, and there will always be a longing to have them again or to or something like that. Yeah, so so true, Sal. It's um, I don't. I'm with you. I don't think. Um, yeah, we we could heal uh, maybe the intensity, some of the intense, um, uh, heartbreaking, devastating uh, feelings um, uh, uh, that come with grief. But yeah, that longing, that missing, and sometimes you really um, throbbing pain again, like uh, uh, when we remember um, things that we we lost and we really long for. It's always there. And so, yeah, I don't think grief should be fixed and or could be fixed. Mm-hmm. But some um, some healing in the sense of like, you know, healing is the same root with wholeness and being whole. So really making more space within ourselves to for our losses. That's how I see it. It's not about getting over it or fix it in, fixing it, but really um, bringing it into our wholeness making space for that uh, sadness, longing, missing. And from that, there is, I think it's a huge um, gift to have experienced losses and to miss and long in terms of compassion and being with others in suffering and being with ourselves in suffering. And I, I forgot the second question, but maybe, or Chelsea, you want to answer this one? Yeah, well, I mean, just something that you said there about remembering I think even just the the importance of that word and what it means like to remember something um, you know it's a bit different from dismember like when you've lost something or it's no longer part of you um, remembering it's like it brings it back it brings it closer it brings it um, present again and um I think that's a really important part in grieving as well that, you know, it's we've talked about like having a, a, a physical wound and the sutures and, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't heal, but sometimes you are left with a scar, you know, you don't go back to how you were before and that scar is there and, and you remember what happened. I definitely agree with you i think turning towards loss is is a transformative process if we can stay with it and stay with ourselves it will transform us and so therefore our grief doesn't end it's not a problem to be fixed but it it does it is integrated and it will show up um because we loved someone and they're not here and sometimes we'll just feel that you know 20 years down the road we may just 
feel that sitting at a coffee shop somewhere it comes up. Um, I, I do think, and what I've observed is it, um, it often does change for people in, in its intensity over time, um, that as the years go on and, and you actively grieve, that grief can change in, in how it appears and shows up. And, um, and as you build the capacity to hold it, um, but I, I often find clients coming and asking about a timeline, like, hey, when's this really rotten thing going to be done? Like, it feels so awful. And there are no clear answers to that. And my answer is, like, it doesn't really, like, as I've said at the beginning, like, it, it doesn't it go away in a year. And certainly not in a year, mm-hmm. certainly not in six months. Um, but it does change it, because we change. It changes us. Yeah, we are never the same person after a loss. And depending on the magnitude of the loss, we may be significantly changed and transformed. But I also had a um, client uh, on the opposite uh, end of the spectrum who said, um, well, I'm, I'm done. One month, I'm done. Like, I'm not grieving. I lost my mom, and now I'm done. And then... Uh, their wife, like this, this is um, a man client, and then their wife, they came as a couple. It was like really deeply grieving and um, very, very much in the midst of the process. So they started getting into <laughs> conflict, like about like, okay, how come this is not even your mom? You should be done. And so what, what about uh, people who get very quickly over? Are they over? <laughs> What's going on there? I mean, I think that that's a, that's a, a, re- a really good question. Um, and I think that a, a simple way that I see that is that um, it's it's difficult to grieve something or someone that you, as you said, you didn't value, right? If we talked about you know the loss of value, and that's not a monetary thing. It's like a you know how you felt about somebody, say for example. And so, if you're really not connected to somebody, it's difficult to 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 grieve them at all and and that um sadly enough can sometimes be a parent or uh, uh, a partner maybe even if it wasn't right where um um and you know that's often a result of various kind of histories and traumas but just because somebody is our parent doesn't mean we have to love them and or grieve them and so you know for example, although it commonly is. One of the leading grief researchers, William Warden, he, he's written extensively about the what he calls the mediators of mourning, which is essentially different seven different factors. Um, I think there's more now, but that will impact how we grieve. So some of them include like what your relationship was to that, what you who you lost. Um, the nature of your relationship because you could be very close but in an unhealthy toxic relationship and so I know that that can mean uh, like a huge up and down roller coaster process in, in grieving the sadness and the anger are both very valid um, how they died um, what what they died from there's lots of different factors that, that go into it so those are always I mean, as therapist, something to explore and look at with the client because 
they may say that exactly that like well my mom died like shouldn't I be upset about it but it could be that that's a coping reaction and that maybe they haven't felt the gravity of the loss but there could also be other things going on there too so everybody's so different yeah and I think also like the nature of the loss too in terms of if it's like a sudden loss that has just happened or something that's anticipated um like I I lost a good friend to cancer a few years ago and um I had to say goodbye to her while she was still living about six months before she died because she flew back to her home country to pass away there and so that was a really really um confusing and gut-wrenching experience because I remember um oh man I'm gonna cry thinking about it I remember the last time I saw her and um knowing that it would be the last time and that you know she still had several months and she was still living several months um but the goodbye came at that point and um and it can, yeah, it can be a really, really confusing process too. It's not so, um, it's not so final, I guess, as to when the loss occurs. It can spread out over time. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Chelsea. That was really moving and so, and so too. I mean, we didn't talk too much about the confusion, but it could be terribly disorienting. Mm -hmm. It, um, it, uh, a loss of that magnitude or other losses can really spiral us into um, disorientation, mm -hmm. and especially if it's a long process. And like, I was so struck by the fact that she decided to pass away in her country, right? So she left. So there was definitely some time there and planning. And um, the gap between when you said the goodbye and the actual death. So that must have been even more disorienting, heart-wrenching. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, because yeah, cause there's certain uh, losses, I think, particularly with some diseases where um, the goodbye, if you do get one, happens long before they actually pass um, or a, a person kind of might disappear slowly um, or yeah who you who you know them to be might disappear before their actual physical body leaves um, or the, the death occurs and so I think that was kind of the the confusing process as well like just I was very like thankful and grateful to be able to have that goodbye um but it was also um yeah it, it it's hard not being able to say goodbye closer to the end just because somebody's like faculties aren't there or they're too sick to be able to um it, to still relate at that point or kind of on on topic um for this year like in during covid I've had clients whose parents have died and haven't been able to go to funerals and like that's hard and 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 you have yeah, the bizarre and confusing because you're not even 
able to participate in the ritual of mourning. Of you know, not that that's the only piece of it, but it's often a significant piece. Yeah, there's a a term that listeners may come across known as disenfranchised grief, and it was um, a term coined by Ken Doga. And it just means that um, disenfranchised grief is when you experience a loss that really can't be or isn't being openly acknowledged, um, or there isn't that room to publicly mourn your loss. So I know, um, like Chelsea, um, what you'd mentioned when the person is there, but maybe they're not there. Like I have clients with parents and grandparents suffering dementia, Mm -hmm. and there is a loss that person who they loved and know is going farther away from them beyond their reach and yet they're there and so that can be really confusing to grieve Um, miscarriages are often unspoken or many women have this assumption well you know it's fairly common so I should just get over it and yet it can be a tremendous source of grief and, and a big loss for many women so there's, and, and also, yeah, like Xavier saying with COVID, um, lots of losses that go unrecognized. And that those are, those losses are important. They are real. Absolutely. I, I just wanted to, to, to chime in and pick up because we've, we've been alluding to and referring to Alzheimer's and I imagine we can put in dementia there. I know they're separate things, but um, just for, for listeners, um, there's this wonderful book that one of our colleagues um introduced me to and it's called the remember balloons um it's a child's book about um you know a child dealing with their grandfather going um uh, you know losing them their memories and <coughs> I, I think uh, not that i'm the world's greatest um researcher on grief and, and mourning but um i can't think of a better book for any kind of loss mm-hmm. uh, adult or or, ch- or or um or child so if you know if you're out there and you want to see something about about I think grieving, um, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. I don't know who the author is, but I'm sure we can put it in our show notes. So the the you know the the, the child is is recognizing that his um, his or her I can't remember uh, grandfather is um, losing their memories and um, and and this is sad for the child like they they they're losing their grandfather. And uh, and the story is really about um, I think one of their parents um, uh, essentially talking to the child about how their memories are like balloons, and that his grandfather has balloons, memory balloons, and that and that he has memory balloons, and that by by maintain by taking the balloons from his grandfather, he retains the memory of them. Like the memories don't disappear even though her grand, the grandfather is. And it was the most incredible, just beautiful thing that um, uh, just to, to to see and to go, well, it makes it so simple in so many ways. And the phrase I often use with clients is, it's often very simple. It's just incredibly difficult. <laughs> and I just love this idea. And then this kind of maybe um, pu- puts us into maybe mentioning a, a phrase that, um, th- that I learned in, in training is uh, enduring bonds. You know, where people live on in our memories, they they almost they never die, mm-hmm. right? And whether that's um, uh, people or other losses, as we've noted. Yeah, and 
and and this happened it happened even here among us like when you brought up your friend in your tears she was very present and i was so touched by that and even imagining how it must have been for her to say that goodbye and fly to her country and so in that sense even by you telling us that and being moved to tears she was very present so uh, yeah i think that book really highlights that that um, people continue living in our memories in our hearts and hopefully we will continue living in some of um, our um, close uh, i know friends loved ones hearts mm. and it's yeah the continuing bond or enduring bond is uh, so important to to remember and yet not to push it too soon like going back to timing like and to a parent losing a child to say well he or she is always in your heart and it's it's again like it's um it's so true but timing and pacing are so important i i'm tempted to to go back to the um, what the general says about the grief that is not recognized about the invisible losses and even with COVID, perhaps, like, uh, even uh, if we talk uh, among ourselves, what are some of the losses that we experience, even ourselves, during this year, during the pandemic, and, of course, what we experience through others? Like, maybe to make them more visible, to to give them some space and articulate them for either for our listeners and for ourselves. The, the one that stands out for me, it's not just this year, um Maybe not. <laughs> um, I'll try, I'll try. Um, oh, it never works. Um, my, um, so w- th- I think one of the biggest losses that I have, and we w- would be an invisible loss, is that of my, of my best friend, who's still very much alive, and I spoke to him last night. And we had a great chat. But he lives in Cape Town, and I'm in Vancouver, and for those geography buffs on the, who are listeners, um, Vancouver is almost literally the antipode of Cape Town, so I'm literally on the other side of the world. Um, and uh, he reminded me that his daughter, my goddaughter, was um, 11, and that just blew my mind. And and in part of my not being in Cape Town, even though we're still the best friends it could ever be, I've missed... I've lost all of that time with him. And that, at various stages and various days, uh, is horrendously painful. I remember having a couple of dreams this year of um, of flying, like leaving Cape Town on an airplane and having the worst, worst pain I've ever felt in the dream. And I would remember it in, in the morning as well. And it was all about that. Um, and... Most of the time it's okay, but every now and then it just, as you as you kind of heard, you know, just trying to start talking about it is, is is hard. Thank you, Sav. I um, I relate to you, and I think the two of us have spoken about this a bit. Not, um, um, I don't uh, have necessarily a best friend that uh, who stands out to me the way this person is for you, but definitely the the invisible loss and yet so yeah powerful persistent and unresolvable in my experience loss of uh, um, who i was and who i could have been in my 
home country in my country of origin, I guess you would call it, right? Like uh, Romania. And um, this uh, pandemic this year has really highlighted the distance and um, uh, inaccessibility of um, going back. Because usually I visit at least once per year and this year was impossible. And there is something about that that uh, comes as a loss, as a lot of grief. And so that, uh, that we call it like nostalgia sometimes, like um, because uh, the etymological nostalgia is like the pain for home, right? A, a home that um, we lost. But yeah, I, I can relate very well. And I think many people who changed countries, immigrated, or um, came to another country as, a ref as refugees may experience this ongoing loss that is, um, is elusive. It's not, you cannot just pinpoint it and say, it's this moment in time and I'm turning towards this or that. And But it's, uh, it's constant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you both for sharing um, the the impacts of being so far away from where you come from and how that is to to live with that. It, I kind of for me, it feels like this. I don't know, torn feeling like part being there and part being here. Um, I don't have uh, that kind of experience. I've um, lived and grown up in the same place always um, but I think for me um, it's not like germane to this year in particular but it does impact me every day um, is just like the change in like functional ability um, with my body I was diagnosed with a chronic illness a few years ago and um, it's almost like every <laughs> every month uh, there's something new to grieve or to grieve in a different way just as I've seen like my my body change and what I'm able to do and even how I feel in my body has shifted and changed so much um, and it will continue to do so and so um, that one is that one has been interesting it's been very very layered um, and um, in a lot of ways like I've I've been brought in closer relationship to my body because of it. Um, but there's a lot of days where, like even on a, an identity level, I feel like I'm losing who I was or who I used to be in my body, and now I'm becoming someone, something different. Um, and so that has been a difficult experience as that self or how I used to feel in my body gets further and further away um, just kind of figuring out yeah what what acceptance uh, means for me in in this loss has been has been up and down yeah thank you for sharing that Chelsea that yeah my heart goes out to you chronic illness is so difficult and I know that there's probably many listeners who can resonate with that um, especially that like chronic pain and chronic illness often go so unacknowledged um, but especially the grieving part and I I resonate with that grieving self as you used to know you like I 
in a different way. Um, for me, well, I guess more related. I mean, I, I do have celiac disease and have been um, actually struck by how much I grieve uh, food. Um, for you, I, I love bread. <laughs> I love gluten. Food is not the same. And I, I remember reading blogs about like how to adjust and people were like, it's fine, you won't even crave it after a certain amount of time. And it's been a few years and that is not true for me. I do not forget what it tasted like and just the freedom of being able to travel and not being having to worry about contamination and feeling feeling life like get a little bit more restricted that way and um, and then also I feel like I've lost that pleasure in food and I still find ways to make it pleasurable but it's not the same so I've been working on accepting that um, but in the loss of, of self I've I've suffered um, for a little while depression and been thinking about my childhood uh, this past couple of years and and not being able to recognize my younger self in me and not really feeling that connection to the light in an enduring way. Um, there's times that I feel connected with her, um, but there's times where she feels a lot more buried away. Um, and, and so those moments of like, I used to have a lot more joy. I used to have a lot more joy than I do now. And so I've been grieving joy. And I think with COVID, I haven't had very many losses in the ways that other people have with COVID. Um, but I, I think other people have been feeling that too, that loss of pleasure, loss of joy, loss of vitality. That's just come with that more restrictions, a more limited life right now. Also loss of uh, embodied existence and embodied relationships. Oh, absolutely. Right, and um, um, moving um, a lot of our um, activities online, like uh, and seeing only one part of our bodies, like on the screen, right? And so for me, that so that's why for me uh, the relationships, like the when I get to see people, to meet people in person, in, in the flesh. It's so much more precious, and I savor it so much. Because that, um, I know that there are some people who say that they actually cherish, like transitioning everything online and all that. I I can't imagine. So for me, it's um, it has been a loss, like the fact that uh, we um, how our relationship with our body and um, uh, with other physical uh, bodies has changed quite considerably. I mean, we are avoiding each other on the streets and we don't make eye contact and we cover half of our face and all that. So all that, uh, I, I feel them as losses and, um, in the sense of lo losing some in embodied presence, mm -hmm. some physicality in relationships. Yeah, and, and to, to, <laughs> to um, uh, bring it full circle, but what you, when you mentioned rage earlier, I, rem I recall raging about that. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, April, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but yeah, it without re yeah probably without recognizing that, mm -hmm. right? And that's maybe something yeah, we've identified um, 
right, what, we, what we've called invisible losses that we've all experienced, but sometimes we don't even realize. And I think a lot of people in COVID are, are experiencing things that and they don't realize. They're feeling it, but they're not, not really sure what it is or why or what to do. Yeah, like the the fatigue, the fact that uh, <laughs> some people, including myself, like they cannot do simple things like responding to a text message, which seems the easiest thing to do. Like there is no apparent blockage, but it just seems impossible. So yeah, I think we, we experience lots of um, um, feelings and lots of losses that we, we will become aware more in time. There's loss of normal loss of the life as you used to. No, it's all these invisible losses, but very, very impactful. This would be a good transition for us to talk about what, what do we do now, now that we've identified we have all these losses. Um, how do we, how do we turn toward, how we, do we be with these losses? Yeah, yes. And more specifically, how do we do that turning towards? Like if we talk about grief as turning towards, how can we how can we do that? How can we be with our losses? Yeah, I think this is a great question and maybe that will also move us into discussing how we do that with our clients, like uh, in our in therapy, but also with ourselves, with each other. How do we turn towards grief? And I think, Janelle, you started us off a while ago by talking about um, like um, acknowledging and accepting in the sense of uh, acknowledging the loss and building that capacity to let it be, which is in itself a huge process. Yeah. And it, I think it's particularly difficult if there is not... Um, there's not as much relationship to self as in maybe you don't spend as much time with yourself um, doing activities with you like journaling or thinking or meditating or whatnot if there's not as much um, intimacy spent with oneself then grieving is difficult because it is personal it requires a coming close to um, so that just for some people may be wondering, like, why is this so hard? Um, because it also does require a cultivation of self-intimacy. Yeah, yes. And also let it be, let the laws be, but also uh, let ourselves be. And let um, all the feelings, the, the crying or the rage, whatever comes, uh, to, to let it come. And I agree with you, John, and that requires some inner ground to to fall upon like when we, we are brought down to on our knees or when we are um, overcome by sadness to in order to let be uh, whatever we experience it requires some ground and of course also um, support from others not uh, the inner relationship is important also some people uh, perhaps need more support from others yeah, and I'm glad you highlighted that because I think it's important for us to acknowledge that depending on where you are in the world and what your cultural norms are around the grieving process, um, that's going to look different. But in Canada, it's typically considered a death-denying society, which means that it can be difficult 
to have your grief be acknowledged by others or for other people to come toward you when you're grieving. And that can be quite painful for people to be in pain and then not see the support. It doesn't mean that it's not there, but but just acknowledge that, yeah, it, it is difficult because there, there isn't as much acceptance around grieving and, and feeling the loss. Um, and so what I encourage clients to do is, is be intentional. As the griever, you get to be intentional with who you invite to be in your grieving circle, who you want to be with as you turn toward your loss, or maybe you turn toward your loss together because it could be a shared loss. Um, but that you, that you actually can ask people, like, can you support me in these ways? If you have enough capacity to do that, some people don't. Um, but it's actually something you can do if, if you're able. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, talking about uh, death denying culture, right? Like people will uh, uh, respond to grief by um, uh, engaging in some like um, activities, like more like functional, supportive um, gestures, like bringing food or um, checking in with the person. But it's I think the what is missing perhaps is the, really someone to to be in it with you or to to be that closeness like drawing close and being able to be in that sorrow with the person who is grieving i mean not to say that uh, you know bringing food and taking care of the basic necessities when someone is um, um, shortly after they lost someone of course these are very important but i think there is a tendency to focus on that and to and then after those are not needed so much to to be for the person who is grieving to experience a, a, a emptiness like that suddenly there's no one there and that's uh, incredibly painful especially after a few weeks when the people the, the people who are there initially to help are kind of resuming their lives I guess there is a profound sense of loneliness and emptiness that could set in at that time. And 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 then another part, like moving forward, like how to do the turning towards is like, um, I think that metaphor of the wound and the first like cleaning it with water and then also uh, with suturing, right? Like um, closing the wound. And um, I think that um, takes place um, through us turning towards ourselves and uh, being compassionate towards ourselves and uh, talking with ourselves about how incredibly painful this is mm -hmm. and comforting ourselves. So it uh, usually turning towards a loss means also turning towards ourselves. That's why people withdraw when they are grieving. They are not going to parties and they are not excessively social but they, they keep private, they cultivate that intimacy with, with themselves. And that's very purposeful in uh, stitching the wound. The, yeah, the compassion towards oneself, I think, is huge. I mean, if, if you're grieving just to be able to give yourself permission to be sad is being so kind. Like, I encourage clients, like, okay, like, would you, if you're, your kid was crying because they lost their friend would you tell them like just get over it and people laugh at the absurdity of that but we do that to ourselves and so actually being able to to treat ourselves like we would our kids or 
more more vulnerable people to be able to like give ourselves a hug and like empathize like i can empathize with my own feeling of sadness and this sucks and actually being able to it you know console ourselves comfort ourselves um is so compassionate and important when we're grieving to let ourselves be exhausted like our bodies like grieving is not just like emotional as if we can separate our emotions from our bodies grief is in our bodies so we're going to be exhausted and to let yourself be exhausted not not to push your body beyond your body's limits and those limits are going to change if you're grieving you may not have the same kind of physical capacity or the same kind of energy levels as you would normally Absolutely, Janelle. Um, you, you, both you and Mihaila kind of um, uh, have touched on on things of how how to turn towards yourself, and, and certainly the idea of it being intentional. Um, uh, one thing that, that that I will often recommend to clients is to, um, not so much in a mechanical way, but to schedule time with yourself, right? And that can be if you wanted to journal, or, but just some just to be. Um, and uh, I have one client who's, who this year has been struggling with COVID, you know, having to uh, work in with it, in it. Um, and um, and all it all, all we did was was take something that she already did, which was having a bath every evening, mm-hmm. and just transforming what that bath was about. Right, it wasn't to get clean; it was to be there for half an hour and to let her body rest and to feel the warmth of it and to be in quiet and right and and just that you know it's not the only thing she's doing but but that one thing was very very transformative and all it did was all it was was changing how she looked at it mm-hmm. what it what it meant to her yeah that's actually the example that was coming to mind for me as well um because in in the bath, there's there's not a whole lot to do, <laughs> but be with yourself, um, and too like there, I think the the holding of the water too is also there. Like there can be this inner holding of time with oneself, but also the water is there as as something on the outside that holds and contains and provides su- support and comfort. Um, and so that's similarly to use of also a way that um, I'll encourage clients to, to kind of turn towards themselves or start to, um, uh, yeah, start to have like an activity or that time to develop that self-intimacy. Also part of the grieving is, um, of course, as we will say in EA, that about the double openness, right, towards ourselves and towards the world. It's also um, slowly... Not uh, not in a rush to able to to um, from that intimacy with self and allowing ourselves to be however we are and take care of ourselves, right? Take uh, offer us some comfort from that. Gradually um, reorienting to the world begins. Like uh, we said, that can be very confusing and disorienting, and then um, it requires a slow process of reorientation and reconnecting. And uh, I think you, Junal, can speak more about that. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I think uh, Attic was uh, a researcher who talked about, wrote about uh, relearning the world. I was very moved by that title. Like that um, it's really a slowly uh, relearning how to do life. 
after the loss. Yeah, relearning. Um, Thomas Attic's uh, work on relearning the world involves so much, like relearning ourselves, relearning other people, relearning how to navigate. And, and sometimes our lives involve actually making changes because this loss has greatly impacted our lives that some things that were normal may not continue anymore. Um, and I think, I think that it can be framed sometimes as the active part of grieving happens and then you integrate back. Um, but it's really not that way. I mean, they happen simultaneously, at least I find, is that grief is paradoxical. There's lots of different, sometimes seemingly opposing processes going on at the same time. And so like, like being a grieving parent, you have other kids. And so you've got to feed your kids and got to get your kids to school. And you're feeling that loss while you're driving them, but you're parenting and you're there, but you're also grieving. And, and so that reorientation can happen alongside that grieving. And that's why it can all be so exhausting. Um, but certainly that turning toward the world, turning toward other people is, is an important component of, of grieving and of re-engaging with life. And some of the participants that I had the pleasure of um, interviewing, that really came through in speaking to some of these women that, that it was actually through their grieving and actively grieving um, that they came back to life that they discovered their creativity, that new passions were given birth to and embraced. And so it seems like, how can that happen with loss, that new life can come up? But it does. Yeah, yeah there is a surge of creativity after being kind of transform transformative processes. And I think grief and loss is one of those processes. And it's... Um, we are grieving for the life that has lost, and paradoxically, as you said, Jana, we connect with more life. We can express more life. I'm so glad you mentioned about the paradox and about the fact that these are not just, you know, stages. You know, first we cry, and then we talk to ourselves, and then finally we reach out to the world, and it's not at all like this. And um, someone can transition um, back and forth among those different seasons of grieving and um, spend more time in one or another and at the same time they can uh, they can also be at the same time as you said i like your example about the grieving parent there so it's um it takes time i think it really grieving really takes time and patience and openness and it yeah it sometimes it's um it's an incredible like creativity and surge of life that is experienced throughout and i i think it can be so helpful to do that with um, if you're grieving and, and there isn't community or you don't know what to do with it um, therapists can be really helpful and to accompany you in your grieving process and um, I know there there was some some therapists have discomfort with grief because it, it's it's difficult to be with clients who are grieving because there's not a lot to do, I find. It's, it's a lot of presence and being with and holding space and going with that ebb and flow of the grieving process. And so, yeah, is there anything that we want to say to therapists as well who are holding clients who are grieving? 
Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, I mean, we've kind of alluded to it in, in ways. Um, silence, I think silence is your friend. Um, um, I, I remember learning the, the phrase, I think, directly from Alfred's um, 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 mouth for one, uh, the first time, right? That when when no words will do, one word is too many. It was, I think it's the most exquisite phrase that sometimes there isn't anything to say. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that that's that's really the the, the thing that I've kind of ta- that I took away from training and to 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 be I think be better in in helping people in in grief. Um, and then also also the way that that EA looks at it and, and even as it's called, I think it's it's not called grief therapy. It's called grief accompaniment. Because that's the action, as you were saying, Janelle, right? That there isn't anything often to do. There's no major action. It's you're you're there, and and also it's not therapy because it's nothing wrong, nothing to treat. It's a fundamental human experience, and also maybe for therapists, like even if it feels heavy and it's moving slowly and requires a lot of silence, to keep in mind that grieving is about reconnecting with life. That um, throughout this process we experience life in a different way, like through heartbreaks, through rage, through sadness, but it's still uh, this um, this um, grieving process is uh, deepening our relationship to life, to what we value. So there is life all the time in the midst of it, even if it's draining and heavy. But maybe that will give some more courage step into it that it's uh, it's slow it's patient it's uh, uh, accompanied by lots of silences and yet it is about uh, life yeah thank you everyone for sharing um i think that this is also a good time um, or an appropriate time to acknowledge that as uh, as a podcast team, um, we're going through our own uh, process of of grief and letting go. Um, one of our dear members that you're familiar with, and who's you know been a co-founder of this and 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 involved in every episode along the way, um, is Janelle. Uh, Janelle. Um, I'll let her speak kind of for herself, but uh, she has made the decision for herself to to leave um, the podcast. And so um, we just wrap our arms around her and um, and we'll have a little bit of a dialogue about it right now. Mm. Thank you. That's really sweet. I, I accept your guys' virtual embrace. Um, yeah, it's been a really rich experience, like being part of season one and of creating the podcast. Um, but then over the past few months, I have taken time to reflect and, uh, you know, I, always the irony with doing existential work and talking about the topics is that I too am not immune from reflecting on inner consent and responsibility and freedom and authenticity and all that good stuff. And as I sat with myself for the last little while, I, I decided that I, I wasn't going to continue on with season two um, for the sake of 
creating more intentional time in my life for rest. And I really, really need to rest. Um, and so that's really what it is. And I, I want to extend so much appreciation to you listeners for welcoming my voice into your world. Um, it's really been enriching. I have learned a lot and I just need to say goodbye for now. And I really wish you all well in your journeys toward living a fulfilled existential life. So thank you. And then obviously just so much love and gratitude toward you, Zav, Chelsea, and Mila for um, for getting to do this, for the amazing conversations that we've had. And I've been inspired and challenged and um, grown from each one of you and, and your wisdom. And so thank you for uh, inviting me to be along a part of this project and also for being so gracious in my leaving. And I will miss you guys. Yeah, I will miss you too, Janelle. And... Um... I'm um, comforted by your goodbye for now and knowing that you give me time to rest. And yeah, I, I wish you a good time of rest. And um, of course, know that uh, we are not only wrapping our arms around you now as you take this time, but we are also open our arms for you to come back should you ever feel rested. And um, if you, you are always part of us. Um, I also you. learned a lot from you in uh, your sharings over these episodes in season one and um, very impressed by your wisdom, life experiences, um, your voice. So I, um, I deeply miss you. Thank you. Yeah, I will really miss working alongside you in this capacity as well. Um, it's just been such a pleasure getting to know you on um, on a deeper level through this. Um, and just there's so many different things that I admire about you. Um, your your tenacity, um, I, I think, probably is what speaks to me the most. Um, and, you know, it's it's a quality that that not only you know, I hear in your voice every time you speak, but also that um, I experience from you and how you um, live your life so true to yourself. Um, and so I think that comes through as well in, in this decision to, to leave us for this next season and who knows what will happen after that. But I, I echo what Mahila said that you know, arms will always be open uh, to welcome you back um, should that feel appropriate for you at the time. And yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for your contribution. And um, I think like just along the lines of, you know, talking about grief, like our the podcast is going forward, but it won't be the same. Mm-hmm. Right, like some something is being lost amongst the four of us, and I think that's really important to acknowledge. Um, and and I feel that loss, and um, I'm also left with the hope that, of course, like our relationship continues, 
but uh, the podcast is changed and, and it will change and um, and that's that's part of it but I just yeah, I want you to know just how loved and appreciated you are wow thank you so much I'm like tearing up over here <laughs> thank you my thoughts are, are um, uh, you know from a practical point of view we're going to miss you on, on on this podcast Janelle from from the uh, from what you bring in terms of your you know your drive the you're a bit of a I don't know would it be fair to call you a taskmaster task mistress oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I mean you definitely keep us um, you know pointing the right direction you know some of that time and uh, which we need um, and and the work, the effort that you've put into to making this thing happen is is incredible. And uh, listeners wouldn't wouldn't know this, but um, for large parts, Janelle does has done most of the editing and listening, and um, and that takes time. Anybody else there who's ever edited will m- might appreciate that, and that's been invaluable. Um, and then yeah, just giving your perspectives, bringing different perspectives on. Uh, on on things that we've talked about on every topic and reminding or, or introducing something that none of us had thought about um, or, or connected um, is, is certainly what will be missed. Um, from a personal point of view, I'm going to miss your voice every two weeks. Mm. Um, it's um, it's a strange thing to be to get uh, familiar, like just so familiar with somebody's voice and. And 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 having that and and expecting it and going oh great and we're recording and we're going to hear it and and then like next time we won't like that's mm-hmm. that's going to be different strange maybe maybe even a little confusing mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm I'm certainly going to miss that um, I'm 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 also comforted by by the fact that you're you know you've left it open and we have certainly left it open but i'm also comforted from by the fact that we're friends and so i get to do communicate yeah. with you still um which which makes it a little bit easier um but certainly it won't be the same without you and um i'm but i have half a suspicion that you're going to keep half an eye or half an ear on, on what we do <laughs> and uh and and periodically you might chime in um, at least I hope I hope you do. It would be so. I should be submitting emails. Yeah, sure. You can even do them under pseudonyms. <laughs> Just kidding. I will not do that. But yeah, yeah. Thank so, you. So it, yeah, I, I don't want to say goodbye because I don't know if it's goodbye. But I think what I would say, and, and um, I hope it's not too um, hasn't become a, a, a too much of a cliche through COVID. But I'm, I'm going to. Uh, borrow Bear, Bonnie Henry's words and change them a little bit. Um, uh, I think it's fabulous that you're being kind to yourself <laughs> and that you're going to go and rest. Um, so stay kind, stay kind to yourself, stay safe, definitely, of course. And uh, yeah, I can't say be calm because I know you don't do well with instructions. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. Uh, um, and you can uh, send nice encouragement. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> and 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 indeed, and yeah, there are times where we don't have to be calm, but yeah, take take very very good care of yourself. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm really I am looking forward to 
you know, being on the other end a little bit and, and what you guys, what you guys do for season two and the ensuing seasons. And I think, um, yeah, you have such, you all have such wonderful thoughts and approaches to contribute. And so I really look forward to seeing what you three do together and just, yeah, have so much gratitude toward you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Janelle, for sharing yourself with us and with our listeners. Um, so on that note, listeners, we will be um, saying goodbye for the year, uh, the end of season one. It's been a great season. Um, we've really enjoyed um, engaging with you, um, providing content, creating content, um, and we look forward to more. We look forward to hearing what you would like to hear from us. Um, so please write in, let us know. Um, follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, you're, feel f- you're free to write in on the, on the website as well or to email us. But for now, we'll leave you with our existential question. How do you find yourself going into the new year? All right, we wish you the best and happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you again in January. Take good care. Follow us on Instagram at Existentialist Podcast and let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com.